Are you here? <laughs> well, it goes without saying, doesn't it? You are tuned in to The Paul Leslie Hour, episode number 990. We're so honored to welcome today Summer Lane, Associate Editor at Right Side Broadcasting Network, where she reports on politics, policies, and the unprecedented America First Movement. Mm-hmm. Prolific is certainly a word that definitely describes Summer Lane. The Spectator called her Trump's favorite scribe. You know, Summer is the number one best-selling author of 30 books and offers more editorial commentaries on her Substack newsletter entitled Summer Lane Right Revolution. Ah, <laughs> so Paul has snookered us into asking for more subscriptions. Ah, subscribe and follow the Paul Leslie Hour on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube because you don't want to miss anything. And with that, Let's not keep Summer Lane or you waiting another second. Okay. Hello, Summer. Hello. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm just fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on here. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Well, for everybody out there who is watching or listening... Summer Lane is a writer who I've been following for probably more than a year now. I always read her columns. She's a very engaging and captivating writer. Writes about political things mostly, and it's a great honor to have her here. So how has your day been going so far? Good. Just sitting and writing stories all day, so <laughs> following all the latest news. The life of a writer is... Uh, a kind of a lonely thing in some ways, but it can also be a fulfilling and edifying thing. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. I'm a quiet person. And I love to write and you have to have quiet time in order to write, but it also gets given me a lot of opportunities in my life to do different things and learn about people and travel and stuff like that. So it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's a little bit of both. Would you say that your ability to write, is it something that is innate? Is it something that you've honed? Both. Definitely both. I, I'm, I naturally have an inclination toward writing, but I worked really hard for a really long time. Just like an athlete would train, you know, to become better at whatever they're trying to do. Uh, I would do the same thing, just constant practice since I was probably about 13 is when I started really pushing hard to to become a professional writer. Would you say that there has been something or someone that has been the greatest teacher for you as a writer? Well, um, books were my first teacher, of course. I, I just love to read and I love the concept of being able to share information and to entertain people with a story or do something impactful that left a legacy. Um, and so um, I started... I started writing when I was what I like I, 13. I think I just said that. Um, and, but I did have a, a writing mentor um, between the ages of 14 to around 17. And his name is James White. And he was a, a prolific author. Um, he still writes a little bit, but he, uh, he was my writing mentor. 
And so he helped me um, kind of expedite that learning process when I was very young. So by the time I was 17, I was working as a professional writer. So, Wow. So writing has uh, been a lifelong pursuit for you. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. I knew I'm not an indecisive person in any way. (laughs) So (laughs) I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I was very young. And I just went after it. And I've been doing the same thing ever since pretty much. So, yeah. You mentioned books a moment ago. Can you tell us about whether fiction or nonfiction, some of your favorite books of all time? Oh my goodness. My favorite book of all time is The Call of the Wild by Jack London. It's my very favorite book ever. Um, In fact, I love all of his writing. I think Jack London was one of the most incredible writers. He wrote ahead of his time and understood how to word things. It sounded so modern and he had a really good perspective on man versus nature and that kind of stuff. So that's definitely my favorite book of all time. And when I was growing up, I enjoyed survival stories. I really liked Robinson Crusoe, Swiss Family Robinson, things like that. Man struggles to survive against nature or against tyrannical powers or something like that. I always really liked that underdog story. So that's the kind of stuff I like to read growing up. It is so funny to me that you mentioned The Call of the Wild, because it was about a week ago. I was thinking about Books that I read from, you know, the ages of like 10 to 16, and I remembered reading Call of the Wild and and specifically thought about what a great story that is. Yes, it's a beautiful story. I I don't know that I've ever seen a movie adaptation that's really done it justice because it's it's actually a a cruel kind of a gritty story and all the movie adaptations are kind of cartoonish, which I don't think do the story justice at all. But um, yeah, it's that and White Fang is probably Mm -hmm. just my other favorite. In fact, my dad just got me a collection of Jack London stories for Christmas. So I'm going to go back through there and read all of his short stories again. He's just such a talented writer. Any other authors? You mentioned Jack London, Mm -hmm. authors that have influenced you. Uh, Well, James White, my writing mentor, probably the other one who... um, impacted me the most. He wrote a book called um, I Am Everyone I Meet. And I learned so much about writing just by reading that singular book. It's all about brevity. Uh, less is more. How do You can you can pack a, a much bigger punch as a writer by actually saying less rather than more and going on for too long. So that would be my, my second choice. I have to say, I have great respect. Maybe that's why I like your writing. I have great respect when people are able to write with brevity. Mm. I love Hemingway, for example. Oh, yes. It's impressive to me. Economy of words. Mm, I like that. Well said. (laughs) Well, tell us about, you mentioned your father. How do your parents react to your career as a writer and especially a political writer? Mm, Well, my parents are very supportive of my writing and the the political interests probably does come from my parents because I'm always very politically informed growing up. I was my whole family. I grew up listening um, to the sound of Rush Limbaugh's voice in the morning. (laughs) And so that was my first introduction to like political analysis and commentary was Rush Limbaugh, very classic, you know. Um, And we were always politically involved when I was growing up with my grandparents and stuff. We would work on campaigns, you know, we knock on doors, make phone calls. We always did that kind of stuff. Um, We were just normal, you know, common sense people just loved our country, you know, and so going into politics, 
as a writer was a jump for me because I, I was a human, human interest journalist, freelance journalist. Um, I worked as a fiction writer. I worked in publicity for writing everything in that area, but politics is a whole different animal. You know, it's all, it's very, it's very savage world out there in politics. And it wasn't something that I, I really wanted to do. Um, so that was kind of, that was kind of an interesting jump for me <laughs> to take. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Rush Limbaugh. Mm. It wasn't long ago I was talking to a great writer. Robert McCready is his name. He's mm. on Twitter, at mm. Evening Magic. And Robert was talking about how Rush was such a humorist, such a comedian at times. And I never heard anybody put it this way. But he said when he was having fun on the radio, he sounded like a little boy in his joy. What did you like about Rush? Uh, well, he was funny. That's a good point. And he was easy to understand. So even as a child listening to Rush Limbaugh, I understood his analysis. Like I got what he was saying. And that helped me to think about things analytically instead of just taking a headline for what it said. So I was very critical and thinking these things through at a very young age. So by the time I was an adult, I wasn't I wasn't just taking the news as it came at me. It was, I wonder if that's actually true. I wonder if that's true or not, you know, just asking myself those kinds of questions. So which positioned me very well going into politics a little bit later in my life, especially during this political climate when we just don't know what's true and what's not true. So it's very hmm. important to be able to analyze and ask ourselves, is this true um, before we form an opinion on it? I want to go into that a little bit, actually. We live at a time when you can examine things and frequently detect something that's you know it's not true mm -hmm. but we live at a time where people are increasingly afraid not all people but people are afraid to say what they know to be true they know this is the truth but they don't want to say it mm -hmm. what does that feel like though what does it feel like when you speak the truth feels amazing <laughs> it's freeing i because i i tell this story a lot. I, I do speaking in California and I go out and I sort of tell my story of why I got into politics. I used to falsely believe that it was safer to be neutral than it was to speak out. And that's not true anymore. Neutrality is no longer a safe oasis for us because now we live in a culture that says you will say this because neutrality is also a rejection of our ideology. So there is no safe place. You're either on board the train or you're not. So it feels really good to speak the truth. Um, it, there is a freedom in it and it's, uh, it's a blessing to be able to, to do what I do. I'm able to speak, um, or I should say, write things that are true. Uh, and I also have a clear conscience, right? Cause I, I think that we all have a moral responsibility to do something, um, for the greater good with the gifts that God has given us. So that's what I try to do. And when I go to bed every night, I, I feel good about it. And I know that, you know, I, I did the best that I could. I told the truth and. I'm I'm not being a coward, you know, hiding in the shadows. I'm at least giving it my best shot. And we do know that there is such a thing as the truth. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Objective truth versus, <laughs> the, you know, the subjective, often changing truth that we see out there today. You know, truth is not a feeling. It's a fact. <laughs> what was it that pushed you to write about politics? How did that interest of yours grow to the point of of writing about it? 
Yeah, um, probably 2020. I think a lot of people uh, in 2020, what happened with COVID and stuff started becoming concerned. I mean, obviously, I mean, and I'm open about this. I, I obviously support President Trump, and that's most of my editorials are in defense of Trump. Um, but, and I live in California, and so it was a lot different here during COVID. It was quite restrictive, and it was very scary. And I, as a student of history, um, I see the writing on the wall. I know what's going on here. And I'm looking around me and thinking, why aren't people doing anything to, you know, speak up? We can peacefully, um, but strongly push back against this nonsense. I was particularly frustrated with churches. Churches were so afraid to open their doors, exercise their First Amendment rights. I got really mad. Um, and so I started writing about it um, because I thought it was the right thing to do because I knew that I could get the message out there. Um, with that brevity. I, I wanted to break it down, make it real simple for people to understand. Um, and that's how I got involved in politics. And it, it just took off. People were responding to that type of work really, really well. And I thought, well, maybe I can make a difference. I didn't really intend to pivot all the way into politics. That was not my intention. It just kind of happened. And about a year after that, I was doing all these op-eds. I would do like guest columns, local newspapers, things like that. Um, about a year later, that's when I sort of um, came over to Right Side Broadcasting Network because they were, had just kind of opened a writing department. And I thought, hey, maybe this would be a good fit for me and I could help in some way. And that's, that's basically it. It was very it was pretty fast. It was pretty rapid. So. Well, as someone California based. What do you make of this character, Gavin Newsom? Oh, well, Gavin Newsom. <laughs> He is very radical, obviously, and he he signs a lot of legislation into law. It is just um, I like to tell people California, you know, gets a bad rap among conservatives. You know, everyone says, oh, California sucks. You need to get out of California. You need to leave it. But my response is always California, Gavin Newsom, that's your future. It's coming to a state near you. Um, <laughs> so it's important for us to stay in California as conservatives, as people of common sense, even let's not use the word conservatism. Let's use the word common sense, right? And push back against that. Gavin Newsom is a representative of a foreshadow of things to come in this country if we do not put a stop to it right now. Yeah. And boy, a lot of people saw the debate that he did mm -hmm. with Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing to me how slippery. I mean, he. You got to give him this. He he has an incredible ability to just smile and say whatever he thinks will get him out of trouble. Yeah, Gavin Newsom is a smooth operator. There's no doubt about it. He's a good politician, but his policies are destructive and horrific for everybody in the state. And if he were to ever run for president, it would completely destroy the country. I think far worse than anything that Joe Biden could even do at this point, because Gavin Newsom is pointed and specific and Joe Biden is weak and he's confused. But it would be a different type of destruction, but destruction nevertheless. <laughs> and it does seem like if not this time around, uh, at some point, Newsom definitely wants to be president. Oh, he certainly seems to be posturing himself to be in that position. Who could say what will actually happen, but certainly seems like he wants to be. <laughs> now, a lot of people say there's no there's no use playing guessing games. We don't know what is in the future, but it's still fun for me to play these kind of games. So <laughs> I'd like to know from you, Summer. 
Do you think that Joe Biden is really going to run for president again? Well, I don't think Joe Biden's really doing anything. I think he's handled. He's handled every day. I don't think he has the cognitive or, you know, physical stamina or agency to run the country. I think everybody knows that when they look at him. So if he runs for president, he's not really running at all. It's just he's just a a puppet, for lack of a better word. And they're just using him. At this point, I think it would be easier for them to just run what they already have. You know, they're so corrupt and they're so evil, in my opinion, the establishment, that they could run an old boot and say, hey, we're going to run this boot. It doesn't matter because we are in control and they're just mocking us. And and Joe Biden is pretty much like one step up from an old boot because he can't function. So they're mocking us. They're mocking us with this with this Democrat choice that they have for us. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think they will run him, but it's. He's just there, you know, he's just a puppet of of the establishment uh, politicians. Hmm. You have all these different things like most of us. We have our 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 family, our personal things. We have our public life or our job for you. It's writing. Where does the fire come? What motivates you to do all the things that you do? Hmm. I guess I just love it. You know, if you're going to do something, it should be something that you love. And when you love your job and when you love what you do, it it doesn't seem so much like work as it does uh, just like fulfilling your passion. And so I genuinely enjoy it. I do it because I like it. I don't write things that I don't enjoy writing about. I don't argue for things that I don't believe in. That's why I do what I do. That's why I'm not working for, you know, a giant media agency like a big mainstream media outlet because I wouldn't be able to espouse things that I don't agree in, agree with. So um, I just, I do get fired up. I love my country. I love my country. I understand. I, I, I understand American history. I've, you know, I studied American history growing up. I still, still love it and I'm fascinated with it. So I'm motivated by a love for my country, um, a respect for the people who've died for this country. And also, I want to preserve freedom for my for my daughter. I want her to grow up in a free country. Um, and also, again, I love what I do. So it's it's uh, it's probably passion more than fire, perhaps. I just that is my personality. I am who I am. <laughs> well, it's always refreshing to me to hear people say that they love this country. It's hard to believe that that has become a controversial thing to say, or that having an American flag, uh, you know, I remember reading some, it was a a manual for leftist agitators. Mm. Of course, they don't call themselves that, but they were saying that one of the signs that somebody could possibly be a fascist is use of the American flag, which, you know, it's just crazy that we live in those kind of times. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's a song Frank Sinatra recorded, The House I Live In. And the the question that the lyrics keep asking again and again, what is America to me? So I would like to ask you, Summer, what is America to you? Mm, Well, it's freedom, individualism. It's our rich history, and it's the promise of a better tomorrow. The promise of that equal opportunity to work your way up, to find prosperity. It's not, oh, you know, it's not like socialism where we promise that everybody has the same outcome. America just promises that everybody gets a fair shot. 
And I like that because I like hard workers and I like, I like to see that. I don't like it when people get free, you know, free handouts and things like that. I'm all about hard work, salt of the earth, blue collar people, you know, stuff like that. So America to me, it's just, it is broadly the freedom to be able to pursue prosperity and also to, um, to worship freely. I, I think that that's something that people take for granted in this country. Um, there's a lot of places in the world where you can't worship freely and that's, you know, uh, religious uh, oppression is coming to the United States if people don't wake up. I think we saw that just a little tiny little taste of it during COVID when they said, oh, you can't go to church. You can't go to your, you know, place of worship, you know, regardless of of what you believe in, whatever church you go to, telling, telling us we can't go to church. I don't think people realize what an egregious usurpation of our constitutional rights that that was. Um, and so that would, that's the other thing. It's, it's just freedom of religion, massive. Um, we have to have it. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things about broadcasting and writing, there are times where you find yourself meeting someone you would maybe normally never get a chance to meet. Tell us about some of the people that you've met through your experiences as a writer. Oh my goodness. Well, I've met a lot of really cool people in California because before I was in politics, I would go around and I would uh, interview people, you know, like owners of businesses and uh, people who were important in the Valley um, here because I live in the Central Valley of California, learn about their business, learn about their farm, stuff like that. And I loved getting to know people like that. That was amazing. And then in politics, same thing. You just get to know people who are working in politics. Like uh, I interviewed uh, Representative Kevin Kiley a little while ago. He was California. Um, I got to meet with President Donald Trump on Monday. I was at Mar-a-Lago um, in Palm Beach, Florida. So that's probably the, my favorite. Obviously, my favorite meeting. Meeting with the president was pretty cool. But I've met a lot of really amazing people um, because I am, I'm always telling people stories. And so that's just a, a huge blessing to me. I am blessed by their stories and their wisdom and that pours into me. And I hope that that's reflected in my writing too. Everybody out there can subscribe to your Substack, and it's Summer Lane Write Revolution. Now, write is kind of a pun there. It's W-R-I-T-E, which I thought that's very clever. <laughs> and uh, you are an egalitarian, and I like that. But you mentioned that one of the people that you got to meet, arguably the most famous person on the planet, <laughs> President Donald J. Trump. And in a recent issue of your, your email, there was a photo of the two of you there together. Now, tell us, was that an intimidating experience or how did that feel? What was that like? Oh, it was lovely. I mean, I think everybody would be rightfully nervous to meet the president, particularly President Trump, who, like you said, is probably the most well-known person on the planet right now. <laughs> so, um, but he was unbelievably warm, gracious, kind. I got to talk with him for quite a bit and um, be there at Mar-a-Lago and just sort of watch his interactions with people and it really confirmed what I already knew when I said this in my Substack. That he's a he's a good man, a kind man who loves his country, is passionate about what he's doing, and loves what he's doing. It seems like, um, and it was just an extremely high honor. I was I was very very grateful to be able to have that chance to meet him because I I respect him so much. Tell us about this place, Mar-a-Lago. What is it like? 
Beautiful. Very beautiful. If your listeners have ever seen pictures of Mar-a-Lago online, it is just as beautiful in person. It's like a small castle, I would say, very tastefully decorated and gorgeous. And his staff is very kind and um, best in the business, I'm sure. So yeah, very magical place. Through your writing, has there been a compliment that meant the most to you? Oh, goodness. A compliment? I have had, yeah, you know, I would say this, that the word that comes up most often when people describe my writing is the word prolific. And I think that's because I'm such a high volume writer. That actually means a lot to me because to me, it means I I work hard. Um, so that is a prominent descriptor for my, for the type of work that I do. A lot of people call me a prolific writer. Well, you have to respect a prolific writer. I remember a quote from the late Jimmy Buffett. He was, you know, not only a singer songwriter, but wrote a few books. And he said that he respected anyone who was a writer because he said, it means that there were so many times when you could have done fill in the blank. You could have gone swimming. You could have watched something on television. You could have mm-hmm. read something yourself, but you didn't. <laughs> and that that's the thing. Writing does take discipline. Yes, it does. And it's, um, you asked me earlier about was it something that was innate or if I had to work at it, that's the part of it that you have to work at is that extreme, I call it extreme self-discipline, having to sit down and do it. And if there's nobody telling you to do it, it's very hard. Some people need structure in order to work. Um, I would say we all need structure in order to work, <laughs> but um, in order to be a writer, you have to to force that structure upon yourself. Um, but luckily, if you love something, it makes it a little bit easier. So. Yeah. Can you give everybody out there any tips how to stay motivated and how to stay optimistic? Oh, how to stay motivated. Um, well, I would say, first of all, if you find something, are you talking about like career wise or just in general? Just in general, but it, you know, certainly I guess it could apply to career. Okay. Well, the way that I stay motivated is like, again, I like to find something that I love, something that I really care about it and think about why you're doing it. You know, that that's a motivation. I also use personal incentives. That's very helpful, especially when you own your own business and you have to spend a certain amount of time at the desk every day. I'll give you an example. When I was younger and I was, I, I wrote 30 books in my past and I, I wrote them, I managed them and sold them. And in order to do that, I had to write a manuscript and complete it and have it ready for publication every three months. It was a very, very stringent schedule. And so I would give myself what I would call carrots at the ends of the stick. Okay, when I do this, you know, I get to this milestone then I'm going to reward myself with this. And I stuck to that. I was very religious about it. And your brain, after you do something enough, enough times, it becomes a habit. So you can train yourself to be motivated. You can train yourself to be positive. You know, instead of training yourself to be negative and going, oh, you know, I'm a failure. I always fail. Whenever I sit down and do anything, I never finish it. And just your brain will learn to expect failure every Mm -hmm. time. So train your brain instead to expect success. And hey, I'm going to finish this and just keep pushing yourself always. Not too far, but just a little nudge, a friendly little nudge. And you can always also... um, pick up like an accountability partner too, if it's something that you struggle with. Like if, if you if you want to finish a goal or finish a project, make sure somebody knows what you're doing. So that way there's some sort of accountability and they can check in with you. Hey, did you finish that project? You know, that kind of thing. And that's a good way to kind of start out. I like that. That's really good. 
sometimes what I'll do in terms of incentives, it'll be the smallest little incentive. Mm-hmm. I'll be working on something and I'll say something. I'll see my phone has beeped. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, oh, so-and-so texted me. Well, if I finish this page and half of the next one, then I can reply. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's a very small, that's a great example, though. That's a small incentive. Yeah, small incentivizing for yourself. That That's really smart. What is the best thing about being Summer Lane? <laughs> the best thing, um, I get to write. I get to do what I love. I mean, writing is one of those things that I dreamed about. You know, I wanted that to be my career, but it's like one of those things people say, oh, I want to be an actress. You know, I want to be a writer. It seems impossible and it is very difficult. Um, but if you love it, it's totally worth it. So the best thing about being Summer Lane is that I, I am blessed enough to be able to do what I love as my full-time job. That is a true gift. We had all these labels we put on you that you're a writer and you're also an editor. You you know, you have all these different titles. You're a mother. How would you define Summer Lane? Mm, I would say storyteller, patriot, and mother. Storyteller, patriot, and mother. Yes. <laughs> well, I always like to end my interviews. You've been so gracious to share your time. You have so many things that you have to do and things that you could be doing, but you, you, you're here with us. I always like to give the guest the stage, so to speak. So it's the most open-ended question that there possibly could be, but writers tend to knock this out of the park. What would you like to say to anybody who's joining us? Oh, man. Well, I would say... If I could say anything right now, because I'm a political writer, I would say don't turn away from your country right now. Find whatever skill set you have that God has given you, whether it's writing, whether it's people skills, knocking on doors, whatever it is, do something to save your country right now. 2024 is our last chance. This is it. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing with my skill set. I, I used to write fiction. Now I'm not. Because I realize that this is the midnight hour, um, in my opinion, in this country. So if I could say anything, it would be an encouragement to find find courage in your heart and use the skill set that God has given you to in some way serve your country. Because we're not going to have a country for very much longer if we don't all get involved in some small way. Very well put. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was very fun. I'm glad. That's important. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know, the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by people like you. Listeners, viewers, please go to thepaulleslie.com slash support, and you'll know what to do when you're there. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who contributes. Performance of The Entertainer intro song by John Primerano. And, of course... This is your announcer speaking. See you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.